Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're heard in over 60 countries around the world. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. Today we're back in LA, broadcasting in relatively warm weather, about 55 degrees, after bringing you last week's show from Fairbanks in Alaska. We spent a couple of weeks in New York and in Alaska, where while it was cold, 50 degrees below in Alaska, it was a fantastic trip. Alaska was cold, but it's really beautiful. Put it on your bucket list. It's really a a place worth visiting. The American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management organized for me to make a presentation on change and the way to utilize that change to be successful. And we made it to over 300 very enthusiastic business people in Fairbanks. They were a great audience. The event was organised by Lisa Herbert, the Executive Director of the Greater Fairbanks Chamber of Commerce, and she did an extraordinary job. And Chamber members were eager to learn everything they could. And I've got to say that um, Greater Fairbanks is one of the most progressive chambers that I've worked with. They uh, really are terrific. But everything was great, went off without a hitch, and so I want to thank... Lisa in particular, because she made it all possible, but uh, everyone else in Fairbanks, Anchorage and New York for making our trip so enjoyable. It was fantastic. I've got to relay one story. I'm walking down the down the street. It's, a, it's about 50 below. It is bloody freezing cold. And uh, I'm rugged up, I've got the scarf around my head and I've got the beanie on and I've got the jacket and I've got the long coat and the boots and the gloves. I've got a whole lot. I was bloody freezing. (laughs) And uh, so I popped into a place called Soapies, which is a little, I don't know how you describe it really, Um, a little cafe type place with all sorts of memorabilia on the wall going back years. And uh, I, I, I walked in that door and I was freezing, but thanks to the fantastic Soapy's Chili, <laughs> I walked out of there ready to walk for another 100 yards and freeze to death. But um, that was one of the memories. And the second memory was just a fantastic audience from the, from the um, business people in, in Fairbanks. It was great. <laughs> Now, this show is all about providing you with the latest information that I think is going to be useful for entrepreneurs and giving you tips that will assist you to be more successful. Now, if ever there was doubt that technology was changing extremely quickly, particularly in the healthcare area, I think it can be put to rest by Europe's top medical researchers from 11 research institutes across seven countries who are working on a potentially groundbreaking smart device called the WISE Mirror, that's W-I-Z-E, Mirror. 
The wise mirror can be used to monitor your health and diagnose any cardiovascular disorders in your own bathroom. You simply look into the mirror for one morning, for one minute each morning, and you receive a near instantaneous health reading. The touchscreen mirror uses multispectral cameras, gas sensors, and 3D scanners. Collect data in areas such as weight gain or loss, blood oxygen levels, and stress. And then it highlights potential risk factors simply by looking in the mirror. It uh, works by five multispectral cameras using both ultraviolet and visible light waves. Inspect your skin and look for changes. The visible lights used to analyse blood vessels in the face to gather information on heart rate and haemoglobin levels. Ultraviolet light is used to measure cholesterol deposits in the skin. A sign of high glucose levels also that can in turn be an indicator of type 2 diabetes. Secondly, the built-in 3D scanner analyses facial shape and checks if the user has lost or gained weight. Facial recognition software then picks up subtle shifts in your appearance, including ones that might indicate signs of stress or anxiety. Finally, when you exhale, the mirror's sniffer analyzes your breath for various gases. The sensor looks for high concentrations of sugars, which can indicate an increased risk of diabetes, and also checks for noxious chemicals that indicate how much you have been indulging in bad habits, I guess like smoking and drinking. So then taking all this into account, the mirror comes up with a numerical score to represent your overall health for the day. So you know whether you're healthier today than you were yesterday or vice versa. Well, I think that's pretty cool, really. It sure beats the hell out of tracking a path to the door of a doctor every week and paying out a fortune but I can also imagine that there's a whole bunch of hypochondriacs who'd be spending the day in front of the mirror with a bottle of sleeping pills in hand. Interesting. YouTube is increasingly understood to be the place where pop culture is happening now. I mean, they've got some phenomenal stuff on, on YouTube. The line between mainstream pop culture and web culture is starting to get blurred. I think we probably all agree with that. And... Uh, a variety study earlier this year showed that teenagers love the people they see on YouTube more than traditional entertainment celebrities in Hollywood. And that's part of the reason that YouTube launched a new trending app on mobile earlier this week. This uh, lets people stay abreast of what videos everybody is buzzing about. The videos in the tab update regularly serving up the hottest videos at any given moment. So if you're a marketer, how do you get a video to go ballistic and be a viral sensation? Well, YouTube just released its list of the top 10 trending videos of the year, and they ranged from that Maryland police officer, you can remember, belting Shake It Off in his squad car. And uh, another finalist was... um, President Obama on Jimmy Kimmel's show, reading mean tweets that people wrote about him. So if you look at this stuff, it's sort of unexpected and unique. 
So that's got to be one of the important things, um, unexpected, unique. Participation is still pretty important. Online videos even more interactive experience than it was. It's about your reaction to it as much as anything else. The third element that used to be required was that it had to be shared by a talk show or by a celebrity. Well, that isn't the case anymore. Um, the key to getting a viral video is to have rapid distribution to a large group of people. And if you do that, you've got a good chance of it going viral. You know, now these really big YouTube creators have actually built big audiences themselves. Um, creator Roman Atwood has 8 million subscribers on YouTube. That's a lot. This sort of dynamic was very nascent at the time, but it's involved and it's been much more defining over the last couple of years. There are more people who are professional who use YouTube as their job and career and that are building up big numbers. So the idea of the influencer is a bit different now. The people who create are also, in many cases, the influencers. So you need to link up with as many of your contacts as you can and get them all to pump your video all simultaneously. And if it's entertaining, if it's novel and it's sticky, then you can get a viral result. But the other key is that it must be very, very, very good. Now, one of the advantages of this show is that I get to hear about some great entrepreneurs and some great ideas. One arrived on my desk a few days ago when I returned from speaking in Alaska. The company's called Porter Ice, P-O-R-T-A hyphen I-C-E. It's a very attractive little unit, probably about the size of a shoebox. It's total, totally portable, so you don't need to plug it into anything. And it will cool a bottle of wine or a bottle of beer in about 30 seconds. So from room temperature to ice cold, in 30 seconds. It'll also make a tray of about, I think, about 30 ice cubes in two seconds. There's a great little gadget. Just tuck it under your arm and off you go. You know, it, it's totally portable. So you could take it to the Hollywood Bowl. You sit it down, put your warm bottle of wine in or room temperature bottle of wine, and in 30 seconds you've got an ice cold bottle of wine. How cool is that? <laughs> pun. You could take it to the beach or take it to sit in the park and not worry about having to plug it in. I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, this Porter Ice unit sensational. It's one of those really simple and practical gadgets that every household's going to want to have. I mean, how often every week do you wish you had a cold bottle of wine or a cold beer or a cold soft drink? or had ice, you go to the fridge looking for ice to put in your drink, <clears throat> isn't any. It's a pretty regular occurrence. So the entrepreneur that um, invented this is not looking for a hell of a lot of money and uh, is also looking for a joint venture partner to take it to, into the market, not only in the US but worldwide. So if you'd like to know more about Porter Ice, 
just drop me an email to bob at bobpritchard.com and I'll forward it on to the um, entrepreneur. I love it. And I'll keep track of it and I'll give you more information about Porter Ice over the next few months. And let's see if we can't help this entrepreneur make his invention the success it deserves to be. So, you lot out there listening, watch this space. I also want to um, thank you for listening to the program tonight because the Republican um, debate, if that's what you can call it, is on in conflict with the last half of this program. So um, this is at least more interesting. There's more new stuff on here. If you go and watch the Republican debate, you just get Trump sounding off with more of his bullshit. Anyway, if you're not yet a member of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, which is the premier organisation for business in the US, and you're serious about improving your skill set, your status, and your network, you should join today. Apart from being able to put the initials A-I-S-M-M after your name and receiving a great plaque for your wall, there's a wealth of latest information, complete business audits, webinars, and advisory board like no other on the planet. So go to AISMM.us and join now. Uh, I joined about 12 years ago and it's it's been a phenomenal boom boon, I guess, to my career, and I recommend that everybody joins it. My interview today is with Paul Scott, a medal member and a lifelong environmental advocate. He co-founded Plug in America in 2005 to galvanise support and to advocate for the manufacture of electric vehicles. He helped promote form... Don'tCrush.com, which was Plugin's predecessor, and it was a grassroots group. I remember this clearly, that single-handedly prevented a 1,000 production EVs from being destroyed by the um, auto companies. It was also featured in the 2006 documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car? Ta-da! Scott's a former president of the Electric Vehicle Association of Southern California and won the 2013 Governor's Environmental and Economic Leadership Award. So I'll be back with um, Paul on the Voice America Business Channel, on the, Voice, on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and we'll be back straight after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. 
Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where for the last four years, we've been giving you insights into the lives of over 250 fascinating, interesting, and talented people learning about what they do and what makes them tick. This program is all about helping entrepreneurs to achieve their goals. You know, everybody in business, no matter what you do, you can have a um, a dry cleaning store or you could create the newest apps. Um, People think that, um, or a lot of people think that their product's going to have people beating a path to their door and that they're going to be successful. But 97% of all businesses fail and uh, and it's because most entrepreneurs are experts at what they do but the majority of businesses fail because they have no knowledge of all the other aspects that go into making a successful business that's why this segment every week is so important because we can listen to the experiences of other people and uh, use that information to help us to be more successful. Now, Paul Scott, he's a lifelong environmental advocate. He co-founded Plug In America in 2005 to galvanize support and advocate for the manufacture of electric vehicles and uh, plug-in hybrids because they reduce America's dependence on petroleum, they boost America's economy, and they certainly improve the environment. Paul also helped create Don'tCrush.com, plug-in America's predecessor, and this was a grassroots group that single-handedly prevented some thousand production EVs from being destroyed by the auto companies that manufactured them. I remember that quite well. His work with both groups has included campaign strategy research, planning and execution. He was among the key figures featured in Who Killed the Electric Car, the 2006 documentary distributed by Sony Pictures Classics, and he consulted for the follow-up Revenge of the Electric Car. Who'd have thought you could have (laughs) follow-ups for documentaries? So, Prior to Paul's recent retirement, he worked for Nissan as an EV specialist with the new Leaf EV. He also worked as an independent consultant for Solar City, which is Elon Musk's nation-leading clean energy company. Paul owned this. I think this is fascinating. Paul owned a 2002 Toyota RAV4 Rav4 EV for eight years which we drove on sunshine generated by the photovoltaic panels on his home. So I guess he had the panels on the roof of the house. I'll ask him in a minute, but he had the panels on the roof of the house and he used that to charge his car. Now, he now owns a 2012 Nissan Leaf, 
and a zero electric motorcycle. He's former president of the Electric Vehicle Association of Southern California and a founding board member of Plug-In America. He also won the 2013 Governor's Environmental and Economic Leadership Award. So I guess you can say this guy is right into the environment. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. It's good to chat with you. Thank you, Bob. That was a wonderful introduction. Thank you. I thought you would have been hobnobbing around Paris today. Uh, no, I've got things to do here. I, I'm writing a book, and I'm involved in quite a few things, so I have to stick around close to home. Okay. Now, you've been extraordinarily passionate about electric cars and the endeavor to increase the percentage of electric cars on the roads. And um, while it's probably short of what you would like, there's been a pretty dramatic change hasn't there in the number of electric cars around at least here in california and uh, a few years ago you predicted that the ev tipping point was 2017 have we made big strides and is the 2017 tipping point still um attainable yeah as a matter of fact uh we haven't sold as many cars as i would have preferred i i think we definitely fell down a little bit on that but uh 2017 is when we'll have the second generation cars available and these are cars that have uh 200 250 mile range and sell for about thirty-five thousand. so led by the um Tesla Model 3, uh, these cars will change the minds of middle America. And unfortunately, middle America has been uh, lied to by certain media sources about the efficiency and the efficacy of the electric vehicles. So a lot of people are still uh, kind of sitting on the fence thinking that electric cars are not viable, but they are today and they will be even more so in two years. And that's when a dramatic change will take place and, and masses of people will start switching over. Yeah, that, the Tesla's got to be the greatest piece of machinery ever ever made. I um, Every time I walk past the, the Tesla um, showroom near me, I always go in, sit in the car and wish. <laughs> <laughs> Have you driven one yet, Bob? I haven't driven one yet. I've, I've sat in one many, many times, and I just love it. But I don't want to sit in in case I get tempted to buy it, and I really can't afford it. <laughs> uh, wait, wait two more years, and you can you can buy the Model 3. As a matter of fact, they show the Model 3 in March, so you won't have to wait too long to see it, uh, and they'll start taking orders in March. So you might want to get in line early because the line's going to be long really quick. What's the, pri- what's the price tag going to be on that Series 3? It's going to start at thirty-five thousand. Obviously, they'll have um, you know, additions that you can sure, sure, get up to in the forties. But uh, it'll be a super fast car, uh, probably zero to sixty in around six seconds, uh, around two hundred and fifty mile range, uh, but and free charging for life, which is kind of a nice thing to have. It's a great thing to have. Um, do you really think that the middle of America, where if you don't have a truck, you're not a guy. You ever think you're going to swing those guys over to electric cars? Oh, yeah, eventually. But it might take a long time for the old guard to let go. And, and uh, quite frankly, you know, to be realistic, um, if, if you look at it, the, the people with that attitude are, are dying by the thousands every day, literally, because they're older. Uh, the young people coming into uh, driving age, the millennials, um, in large part, don't even want to own cars. Uh, yeah, that's true. 
a big pickup truck that is kind of useless for commuting. Um, so you'll, you'll see the old people die off and then the young people come up uh, and they, uh, by a large majority, want electric cars. So it's something like 70%, 80% of them don't even want an uh, internal combustion car, much less a big bulky pickup truck that you really can't take very many places. Yeah. Do you think enough of them will die so that Trump won't get to be president? <laughs> that's another subject <laughs> no Trump won't be president thank goodness but. yeah well I don't know God, I hope not okay um, before we talk about um, autonomous vehicles let's just touch on the President Obama episode in 2013 I thought that was fascinating um, you don't have a lot of money and uh you took $32,000 from your retirement savings to spend a few minutes with the president. Um, there was a, an offer that if you paid a certain number of dollars, you could get to sit with the president and talk to him. And so you took 32000 of what was, you know, limited, very limited funds. And we're going to spend a few minutes with the president. And you're going to talk to him about the virtues of um, electric vehicles and etc. And at the last minute, the DMC pulled the plug on the meeting. Now, it seemed, it seemed incongruous to me because the Democrats are always pushing about oil conservation and, and lessening our dependence on foreign oil, etc., etc., etc. What happened? Who got in their ear? Yeah, so what happened was, is uh, given that I was spending that much money for a couple of minutes with the president, uh, I felt I felt good about that. I, I uh, felt he's in his first year of, uh, of his last term, so he's probably as powerful as he's going to be. Yep. Um, and that if I could uh, give him information that he wasn't using in pursuing electric cars, uh, that maybe I could move the needle on the issue a little bit. So I was sure, willing sure. to spend that kind of money. But uh, to kind of cover my bases, hedge my bets, I wrote an op-ed called My Lunch with the President prior to the meeting. And right, essentially, right. In, in the op-ed, I explained why I was doing it, how it was possible that somebody of modest means was able to save that much money up. Um, and and uh, so I, I shopped it around, and it got picked up by USA Today and a whole lot of blogs and things, and, and it kind of went viral. Right. Um, so, uh, but then the right wing picked it up and they started playing it as a, uh, a pay for play uh, money issue and, and said, oh, you know, the only reason you're getting to see him is because you're spending all this money and Obama's a whore for taking money. And, and it's like, it was it's so disingenuous because their side does it even more than our side does it. And besides, you know, uh, if, if they didn't like it, then they should uh, join together with us and try to get money out of politics. But obviously, that wasn't their intent. So anyway, right. it created a big firestorm of controversy. Um, and then the DNC called me and asked me not to do any interviews until after the event. And I agreed to that. Right. But right. the weekend, it, it grew and grew and grew. And this is back in the day when Benghazi had just happened and the yeah. IRS uh, scandal was happening. And so the DNC got a little nervous and they said, you know, we, we, we can't um, have the president embarrassed by this. So uh, we're disinviting you from the meeting. What a bunch of wusses. Yeah. My, Seriously. My, yeah. Uh, I had with the guy who, who told me this and I said look why don't instead of disinviting me why don't you uh, you know invite these right wingers to to talk about the money and politics issue because if that's the issue then you know both sides could work together to pass a bill in Congress to, <laughs> to get money out of politics but he didn't want to go there and 
And I just thought that they were pretty chicken about the whole thing. Well, they certainly were. There's no question about that. When did the Republicans ever let truth get in, you know, get into their politics? They lie all the time. They're they're full of it. They're they're bought completely by corporate interests, and, and that's how our country is being run right now. And it's a sad state of affairs, and it's hurting the entire planet. I agree. Okay. So now you're extremely enthusiastic about the inevitability of autonomous vehicles. So we all know about the Google driverless cars and the driverless Teslas. Um, is, is, that, is that sort of the extent of autonomous vehicles at the moment? At the moment, yeah, but there's a lot going on that most people are completely unaware about. Uh, two and a half years ago, in the summer of 13, I went to Orange County and dr- rode in an autonomous Nissan Leaf, same year as the one I drive, and that car was remarkable how it performed all on its own. Um, this was you know, uh, a closed course, so there, there weren't um, a lot of sure. things out there, but it did everything it was supposed to do, and that was two and a half years ago. Um, what I'm hearing out of Tesla right now is uh, Tesla says that they'll have a fully autonomous car in three years, fully autonomous, that would be ready for sale. However, uh, Elon says that it'll take about two years to get through NHTSA and insurance certification uh, before it could actually be sold. So we're, we're looking at about five years before these cars hit the market. And very quickly, um, Uber has already promised to buy the first half million half million units from Tesla. Sheesh. <laughs> I love Uber. I just love Uber. Um, it gets even better, Bob, because uh, <laughs> there, there's kind of rumor floating out there that Tesla might do their own Uber-type service. So, you know, instead of selling the cars to Uber, yeah, that, create yeah. its own Uber-type service, which... That would uh, be a bit of a shame, really, I reckon, but... Well, either way, we, we want the cars to be out there on the road providing uh, door-to-door service for people for pennies on the dollar what it costs to operate your own private automobile. How far behind is the government? Because the... Um you're only going to get them on the road when the government catches up. And it seems to me when you look at some of the laws that are still being enacted now that were set in stone in 1890, how long is it going to take the government to catch up? Well, it depends on which government you're talking about. The feds, um, at least with Obama in, in charge, are moving along pretty well. Uh, so I think NHTSA is going to be on board. Uh, certain states have really picked up the banner and run with it. Uh, 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 I'd say Michigan uh, is definitely liberal on this issue, and California certainly is. California, yeah. Embracing it. Uh, so I think certain states are going to get the lion's share of the work uh, because of that. Um, but the, the other states will get out of the way. As soon as NHTSA passes muster, uh, then everything will be fine, and all states will get on board because it will be a national issue. Yeah. Um, so will AVs be all electric, or will we have internal combustion, or will we have hybrids, or what will they all be? They, uh, in the end game, they're all electric. Um, and, and I doubt very seriously that any uh, OEM, original equipment manufacturer, would uh, bring an internal combustion autonomous car to market. They might test their, their software on one because that's what they've got to test with now. Uh, but it's very clear to me that all of them will be 100% electric because the, the range is there. Um, the uh, lack of maintenance is a real boost. 
Um, and they're just better cars. Electric cars are vastly superior to internal combustion already. How much depends on um, Tesla's um, battery superiority, or, or am I wrong in that? It, uh, are there others that are um, up there in battery technology like Tesla is? Yeah, uh, there's quite a few. The, the batteries are really coming along now. Tesla's advantage is that their Gigafactory will give them economies of scale that no other manufacturer can approach, at least for the, the next two or three years. Uh, so their their price per kilowatt hour is going to drop under $200, and uh, that's what's going to make the Model 3 Tesla so affordable. And then going forward, um, everybody else will kind of either buy Tesla batteries or create their own batteries. Um, battery factories. You've, you've heard no doubt about the, uh, in Paris, this group of billionaires yesterday yep. announced uh, yeah. something like a $20 billion fund. And uh, in my mind, what they should do is just go straight to Elon and join with him and say, look, how many more battery factories can we manufacture? And let's get these things in, you know, let's break ground right now. That's where they should be putting that 20 billion is to build factories because the technology is already there. Tesla can't build the cars fast enough for their customer base. And yeah. they're, they're, they've opened up their patents for other manufacturers to use. And they're saying, come on, help us build them. We, we need more electric cars faster. So that's, that's how we should be spending that money. That Musk something else, isn't he? You know, he came along at the right time. Uh, we Unbelievable. like him, but he's the greatest entrepreneur I think the world has ever seen. And he's yep. not even close to being done. Yeah, I agree. Now, I was I was driving home from the city the other day and uh, doing about you know normal speed on the one hundred and one doing about eighty <laughs> and uh, a car on the left of me just suddenly made a left turn and went straight into the wall. I don't know whether the driver had a heart attack or whatever happened to him, but he just did a immediate sharp left turn across four lanes of traffic straight into the wall. Um, now, if if all these cars are hurtling along. I suppose that'd be speed controlled. I guess that's one advantage. You'd be able to put a control on the speeds of all these cars. But how safe are AVs going to be? They're going to be incredibly safe, uh, much more so than a human. Uh, so human, humans have proven that <laughs> yeah. it's a really low bar. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> every year from automobile accidents and hundreds of thousands of, of injuries. And it costs us hundreds of billions of dollars. So those virtually disappear. Autonomous cars will not be uh, the cause of an accident, uh, barring a mechanical breakdown or something like that, which would be very rare. Autonomous cars will be obeying the law and we will be very predictable. The only crashes will be when human-operated automobiles uh, crash into autonomous cars or other human-operated uh, cars. So, um, yeah, once you get the humans um, out from uh, behind the wheel, then the safety rises dramatically. And since you're in L.A., Bob, you know about SIG alerts, right? Yeah, we get SIG alerts. <laughs> I know a lot about SIG alerts. <laughs> yeah, that means when, when one or more traffic lanes have been closed due to an accident, yep. and it affects yep. tens of thousands of commuters when we have one, because um, they usually happen on a big freeway uh, at rush hour. And so uh, when you have that, then all these commuters are, you know, they're half hour, hour delayed to getting to their uh, destination. Well, will you eliminate the SIG alerts because the autonomous cars don't crash? Traffic flows much more smoothly. And yep. so you, you will get to where you want to go a lot quicker, a lot safer. 
Well, one other thing that you throw into the mix, it seems to me, you know, I'll, I'll sit there and get my traffic report from Channel 5 in LA, and every every morning there seems to be accidents between cars and motorcycles all over the place. So how do, how do, how do motorcycles fit into this scenario? You're going to have people riding motorcycles and everybody else is going to be in a driverless car. Mm-hmm. Well, th- that's the beauty of it. I ride a motorcycle. As a matter of fact, when my car's lease is up, I'm turning it in and just sticking with Uber and, and uh, motorcycle. But as a motorcycle rider, um, I can tell you that it's going to improve our safety dramatically because what I want is predictability. When I'm splitting lanes on the 10 freeway, um, I know that you know if I'm between lane one and lane two, that's where I'm supposed to be. And then cars, most of the cars expect motorcycles to come by there. And there's usually plenty of room. Yep. But there are the occasional people texting and you can spot them. You know, they're, they're drifting over and, you know, and anyway, they're just acting like they're not paying attention to driving. Those people scare us to death. Yeah. Where a lot of these accidents happen. So I, I suspect motorcycles are going to really like it um, because it'll be much safer for us. Um that said, there, uh, the majority of motorcycle crashes are caused by the motorcyclists, but there's, there's a lot of young people out there who buy these incredibly powerful machines and don't really know how to operate them well. Sure. Answers that they shouldn't. So, but that's their fault. Um, yeah. Uh, but they, they, there'll be fewer of those crashes, too, because the autonomous cars won't suddenly swerve in front of them. There is one other advantage, of course, in that cars don't drink. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's the beauty of autonomous cars. You know that you can text, you can drink, you can sleep, you can do whatever you want in the car. It doesn't matter. The car will not crash, and you will arrive safely. Um, in what way? Apart from the obvious uh, lack of lessening of pollution, in what ways are AVs going to improve the environment? Um, well, first of all, you'll have fewer cars manufactured. So uh, I think we could probably, the estimates I'm reading, uh, you could probably get by with 20, 30% of the number of cars we have today. Uh, this will seriously impact the, um, the jobs, of course, you know, manufacturing cars. Sure. But one car could serve the purpose of 10 or 20 privately owned cars. So uh, when people stop buying cars from the OEMs, uh, the dealerships, uh, you know, you'll just have Uber-type fleets, uh, you know, buying thousands of them. But again, you know, one one of those cars can replace 10 or 20 privately owned cars. So the streets will empty out um, and you'll have plenty of places to park. Uh, bicycles won't have any issues because the, there won't be cars parked on the side of the road. Uh, parking lots will be repurposed for better uses. Um like parks or gardens or, you know, uh, uh, you know, some sort of a business. Um, so, you know, productivity will increase. Uh, the environment will get a lot better. The economy will improve dramatically because we won't be spending money on inefficient things like um, uh, oil. Instead of spending $700 billion a year on oil, that $700 billion will be spent on other things, local goods and services generating thousands, millions of jobs eventually so um it's it's going to be a great thing when it happens and it's going to start really soon that so what what are the okay they're the positives what what are the negatives of of trend of 
transitioning to a not only um, AV private cars, but also um, having big fleets of I mean, Ubers are fantastic. Any anybody who lives in a city that owns a car today um, is doing it for. <laughs> pretty much for ego, aren't they? Because um, you really don't need one. So what are the, what are the negative effects of um, an AV transportation system? Well, job displacement is the big one. So yeah. uh, taxi drivers, Uber drivers, truck drivers, delivery drivers, all those jobs are going to go away, uh, virtually 100% of them. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight, obviously. Sure. Gradual transition. Um, but... That said, and, and some manufacturing jobs will go away as well, uh, of the cars, but there's going to be so much money available for other things. And we're talking about hundreds of billions per year and eventually a couple of trillion per year worldwide. So that money will still be earned and spent. So uh, people will decide, what do you want? Well, I want, I want to go to movies. I want food. I want clothing. So they will buy those things, and those things need to be made by people. So jobs will increase in those areas. Uh, renewable energy is a fast-growing area. So a lot sure. of jobs in manufacturing and installing renewable energy. Um, uh, so there will be plenty of jobs available. They, they will just be different. It's much like... When horses went out of favor, the people who used to have jobs surrounding horses, you know, shoeing them, yeah, bug sure. pages, things like that, those jobs went away, but uh, the people transitioned into other jobs. So that's what will happen. The, the direct employment by the automotive companies, forgetting all the people who make all the parts and all the various bits that go into a car, but the, the actual... Um, motor vehicle manufacturing plants i mean yeah if you have a look at the tesla plant it doesn't employ anybody people anyway i mean they're all it's all robots and um you know a couple of guys with ipads controlling everything so you know i guess you lose a lot of jobs in in um the surrounding industries but probably not that much in manufacturing itself uh, yeah, you're right there. But, you know, again, if you shut down a car plant, there are a few thousand jobs associated with that. Yeah. And they won't be manufacturing as many job, or as many cars. So uh, some of those plants will definitely close. Some of the big manufacturers like Toyota and Honda, uh, if they don't get get it together and, and start going electric, um, they, they make a business. Yeah, they, some of the OEMs are not going to make it through. And, and some of them that you think are really powerful and, and – unassailable uh you know they're they're betting wrong like toyota and honda are good examples they're betting that fuel cells are the end game and yeah. not, as far as i can tell i haven't heard of them uh being heavily invested in autonomous uh technology so if they don't get it together and start moving down this path very quickly uh they're going to find themselves um the losers and and they could very well be bought up by some of the uh the winners yeah it's it, it's going to be a total disruption to the industry i'm uh on tonight's show um i'm talking about banks and how um the new um young tech companies are really starting to eat into the lunch of the banks um in every aspect pretty much except um except mortgages and things and unless unless the big banks make a very dramatic change to their business model very quickly they will be out of business um so 
this is the same sort of thing, isn't it? That you know, you you've really got to start off the way Tesla did with technology as the root of your business, rather than technology just being an add-on. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tesla has done everything right. I mean, if if Elon could go back and start over, um, he he would do some things differently. Oh, but, sure. But his end game is very good, and he's he's making strong progress on that. Um, so uh, yeah, you, you're exactly right. The banks need to to watch out. I saw something on 60 Minutes regarding, I believe it was Nigeria or Kenya. And mm-hmm. how they're doing money over there. Very different from how we do money over here. Yeah, it's yeah. very eye-opening. It's good. <laughs> um, what, if I, what if I don't want to have an AV? You know, I really like driving myself. I, I get a big charge out of driving. Yeah. What if I don't want to drive one? You can keep doing that. There's no problem. Nobody's going to say, hey, you can't drive anymore. As a matter of fact, your driving is going to get a lot more pleasurable because traffic won't be an issue. When you see an autonomous car out there, you know what that car is going to do so you can trust it. Uh, So driving is going to be a lot more pleasurable for people. However, if you drive an internal combustion car, your costs are going to go up and it's going to become very inconvenient for you. And the reason for that is um, gas stations aren't going to be on the corner. Yeah, their gas stations are going to close one by one because lack of business. As yep, yep. the cars electrify and the business drops off for a gas station, eventually um, it closes. And and after a while, you know, if you have an internal combustion car and you like to drive it, uh, you're going to have a hard time finding gasoline. And eventually, it just all goes away because you know there's just no point in it. You can't you can't have an uh, oil refinery making gasoline for cars when they don't exist anymore. Yeah. Paul, thank you for very much for speaking with me today. That was very enlightening. I had I um, had not thought a lot about um, the future with autonomous cars and electric cars, and uh, that was most enlightening. How can people find out more about you and the work you're doing and, and what's happening? Well, uh, you can contact me through pluginamerica.org. Uh, that's one way. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. I live in Santa Monica, and, and uh, I'm online a lot. So uh, if anybody wanted to find out more, just get a hold of me through pluginamerica.org, and I'd be more than happy to establish a report. Great. Well, thank you very, very much for your time. I really appreciate it. So if you want to find out more, you can contact Paul through pluginamerica.org. And uh, this is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at BobPritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs on the planet. And this week, we are broadcasting from Los Angeles, one of the startup capitals of the world 
the um, entrepreneurial world of LA is really booming. Now it's in third place behind Silicon Valley and Tel Aviv in Israel. There's um, entrepreneurial activity going on everywhere. There's a heap of incubators and uh, also, very critically, a huge amount of angel and venture capital here, partly due to the incredible entertainment industry. But this is the place where things are really happening. And so um, it's appropriate that we're here. Now, many people don't like spending thousands of dollars each month on anything that they don't need to. So they get rid of their office and they work from home. And you save a lot of money, but um, it has its disadvantages and it has a number of advantages. And one, one advantage is to be able to hire the best people no matter where in the world they happen to be. In my case, for example, we used to have a big office on Santa Monica Boulevard. We had about 35 staff at one stage and you're paying people, um, good people. We hired good people, paid them good money. But um, you tended to hire people that were local and use people that were local and you paid 365 days a year overheads when for many weeks of the year, particularly over, say, Christmas, you had very little revenue. So that's a disadvantage. One big advantage of not having an office is you can hire the best people no matter where they are in the world. Now, I, um, I'm a consultant to a number of companies, well, not a number of companies, but a few companies, and uh, we hire the absolute best available people on the planet. And uh, you get a much stronger team of talent. But managing such a diverse team is not without its challenges. It's easy to feel disconnected from others. It's easy to run into communication problems with time zones you know, I've had four calls today from overseas and all of them fell into the ridiculous hours of the morning category. And uh, when you add cultural differences into the mix, things can get complicated very quickly and can get very inefficient quickly if you let them. So we've learned seven ways to overcome the challenges and in turn not having an office into a strong positive. The first thing you need to do is you have to focus on results. After all, business is all about results. So it doesn't matter where you do the work, it's about getting results for the client. So managing a team that's dispersed doesn't work for every type of business, nor does it work for every type of person. But what is clear is that creating results The, is the only culture that's key. You've got to create results. That's what you get paid for. That's what you promise your client. So you can ignore employee work hours, just ignore them, doesn't matter. But instead track project hours for billing and internal efficiency. 
don't care what team members are doing as long as they're producing the results that you want. So get rule of rules like a 40-hour week for work or two weeks of vacation and say, we don't care when you work or how you work as long as you get the, be- the best work done. Um, you know, some people work better at 3 o'clock in the morning. Others work better at 6 o'clock at night. So we say to our people, just turn in the results. We don't give a damn when you work. Just turn in great results. Secondly, you should hold structured meetings daily and weekly. Now, because everybody's working remotely, you can't have these meetings in person. Everybody's spread out all over the joint. But the meeting can be really simple. All you have to do is get everybody to post three things that they're going to do that day. If you see an opportunity to provide anybody to provide input on somebody else's to-do list, then offer the advice. If somebody needs help with an item, then they should go and ask for that help. And to do this only takes a couple of minutes each day per meeting. You might spend five minutes. But it makes a huge difference when it comes to feeling like everybody knows what everyone else is doing. You should also set weekly meetings using GoToMeeting. These meetings, they can last half an hour. And each member of the team gives a brief report on the highlights from the past week and what they're going to be working on next week. And this is intended to help everyone stay in the loop so that we can all see each other's faces and hear each other's voices and get to relate to people. You can also have separate meetings for management, and these can be much more in-depth. You can do that every week. And um, it can be conducted by phone between appropriate parties. Thirdly, you should host company retreats once a year. Get everybody together once a year. And, you know, when, you, when your team's spread around the world, it doesn't come cheap. But airfares are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. I don't know if you've noticed, but one of my people inquired today about a return air trip to Australia over Christmas. And he's, um, he's American, but he wanted to go to Australia over Christmas. And a return ticket, a round-trip ticket, on United was $880. I mean, that is seriously cheap. And But you, if, you, if you hold these retreats once a year, you'll see the payoff because nothing can fully replace in-person, face-to-face contact between your team. Fourthly, you know, you need to use the right software to simplify your life. So some valuable software that we would suggest is use Switch for virtually all phone calls. Then Uber Conference provides a party line that doesn't require a code. It also records all calls and sends you an MP3 file afterwards. That's very handy. 
You can use Wunderlist, W-U-N-D-E-R list for basic to-do list management. Skitch makes it easy to take screenshots and add notes. Google Docs collaboration features are far superior to Office. Use Dropbox for sharing common resources. Basecamp project management software helps to work together as a team, even when you're thousands of miles away from each other. World Time Buddy, this is one for me, World Time Buddy for quickly figuring out time zone questions. Time zones to me are a pain in the ass, particularly with not only time zones, but with um, um, when they change to daylight saving, in and out of daylight saving. You can get really screwed up really easily. And finally, Google Enterprise Email provides all the functionality of Gmail with easy-to-use administration tools. Fifth, now you don't hear that much about um, corporate internets anymore, but still useful to have one. Um, an intranet uh, is handy for posting updates, training and policing materials, and it can act as a company directory as well. Sixth, study other like-minded like structured companies, businesses that foster remote work will tell you how they do it. Look at the stories shared by companies like Buffer, Zapier, Groove, Basecamp. There's a wealth of very interesting information. So to be the best company you can be, you don't all need to be in the one room. You just have to be smart about what you do. Now, 2015 is the worst year for tech IPO since 2009. Just 28 technology companies entered the US public markets this year, the worst year for IPOs since 2009. This compares to 62 IPOs last year and 48 the year before. Now, there's 131 unicorns opting to remain private longer, and half of the tech companies that have gone public this year are trading below their IPO price. So there's quite a few difficulties. Uh, so will two... 2016 be a big year for tech IPOs. Companies which had strong fundamentals, like Atlassian, were able to hit the ground running. Fitbit's up 56% since its IPO. GoDaddy, which is on the verge of profitability, has risen 68%. So the first quarter looks relatively strong for deals. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter. And the radio summary, which is sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries every month, subscribe by simply going to bobpritchard.com. In the meanwhile, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope, and I mean really pushing the envelope, and if you're not living right on the edge, then you're taking up too much space. Get out of the way. Let somebody go through who wants to succeed. And it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. 